So um, just a couple announcements. First off, welcome. Uh, particularly if you're new or you're just visiting today, it's great to have you here with us. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. If you could stop by our Connect table outside, uh, we'd love to kind of give you any information that you may want about our church or the Christian faith. And um, yeah, just get to know you. And so uh, please do that if you are new or visiting. Um, we do have coming up uh, Fall Fest on uh, October 31st. Uh, thank you for those of you who have already signed up to volunteer. So yeah, we're going to just have some kind of games and, um, you know, crafts and different things. Uh, it is Halloween. But, um, you know, we're not doing a, it's not called a Halloween thing. But, um, uh, and we're going to kind of invite people in the neighborhood to come. And so, you know, it's a great way to just serve, obviously, our own church and the kids here, but also uh, the broader community. And so if you're interested, if you haven't signed up for that and you would like to help out and volunteer, um, please, you can do that outside at the table or you can do it online as well. Or if you just on that day, you happen to you just want to come and, and chill and hang out, uh, please feel free to do that as well. Um, the games may not be quite challenging enough for you, but um, you can still have fun and just uh, be here with us. Um, we do have a monthly prayer gathering, monthly worship and prayer gathering coming up. So it's the day before Halloween, uh, October 30th. It's usually the last Saturday of the month. And so if you'd like to come out to that, if you want to corporately worship and pray just with the church about kind of broader things, you know, beyond just yourself, uh, it's good once in a while to do that and just kind of pray for the community, pray for the world. Um, you know, pray for people we're supporting out there, missions and different things like that. And so if you're interested in that, please, um, you know, mark your calendar Saturday, October 30th, 10 a.m. in here. Um, and usually we're in here. Uh, last month we were actually over there because something was going on in here. But we'll be either in here or over there uh, in the main in the main sanctuary over there. Uh, but that is it for announcements. Let me pray for us and then we'll get into God's word together. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time and this space where we can recognize who you are, God. Thank you that we can sing these songs and be reminded of uh, the love and the grace that you have for us, that you want us to know, that you want us to even experience, God, and feel. And we pray that as we step into your word, you would make your love and your grace and your uh, just the treasure that you are, God, that you would make that a reality to us, that those would not just be words, that those would not just be concepts that exist in the abstract, Lord, but that they would be uh, realities that we live in, that we step into, that we enjoy. And so, Holy Spirit, please do your work <clears throat> through your word today. Uh, we entrust it to you. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' and we pray. Amen. So um, for those of you who know me, you, you know that uh, I am very churched. So I grew up in church. I was pretty much born into, you know, a church that some of us all attended <laughs> a long time ago. And um, I used to go to church like every Sunday without fail. Rain or shine, you know, sickness or health, I could be throwing up, I could be like slobbering snot all over, and I would just go to church, and I would just like wipe it up, you know, on my arm, and just like wipe it on my friend, and that's, that's all, that was just normal, you know, when I was a kid. I would, I, I don't think from age, you know, zero to, from birth, 
until well i actually i can't speak to before four right because i don't really remember but you know after from like the age of four to like the age of 18 i literally missed church only two times because i know exactly when they were one was when i had chicken pox that was one time i missed church the other time i was a senior in high school and I got this crazy rash. <laughs> like I was at church actually already. And I had this rash that was breaking out like all over my, it was probably like an er- allergic reaction or something. But I didn't know what it was. It was just like crazy. Like in the middle of service, it was going just all over. This is like a whole other story that I don't need to get into. But that was like the only one other time I, you know, I had to go home early. It was the only two times in my whole life to that point that I missed church. And then from that point to another like 10 years, I only missed church one other time uh, besides missions was I went to New York on a trip one time. That was it. Like when I was young, you just, it was your duty to go to church on Sunday. That just was what it was. It was my job, right? And particularly when I was young, that's what I would think. It's my job. Wake up, get ready, go to church, give my, you know, $1 offering, like, you know, do the songs, like do whatever homework I have, like Bible verses or whatever. And just, it was ingrained in my brain that that's what I had to do. Now, it wasn't a joy, you know, I mean, I liked hanging out with my friends at church, but I didn't like doing all the church stuff. You know, it was just my job. I just had to do it. Now, at some point, though, that changed. At some point, it turned from purely duty and guilt. And if I don't go to church, I'm going to feel bad. And therefore, I must go to church and I have to, and I have to do this and I have to do that. It turned from that into something that I actually wanted to do. It turned into a joy. In fact, it turned into, and not just going to church, but Knowing Jesus actually turned into a treasure, the greatest treasure in my life. The most important thing to me changed from various other things to Jesus. Jesus is my greatest treasure, the greatest person in my life, the greatest, you know, Jesus isn't a thing, but greater than any other thing that I knew or, or owned or had. And doing things for Jesus is still a duty, but it's also a joy. Now, I don't know where you are on that spectrum. And I'm not saying it's always a joy and it's just the greatest you know, thing. No, of course, there are times where it doesn't feel like that. And I think it is a spectrum from purely duty and guilt to... Everything I do, you know, is just Jesus is my greatest treasure. And I don't know where you're at on that spectrum. But as Christians, we are always going to struggle with this notion of I need to follow Jesus because I'm supposed to. And I have to. And if I don't, I might go to hell. And I'm going to follow Jesus Because I want to and I love to and because he's my greatest treasure. And what we're going to be looking at today is how, like, what do we need to understand about Jesus and about the kingdom of God is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. What do we need to understand about the kingdom of God that's going to help us remember, that's going to help us realize what 
to do or what it means to have Jesus as our treasure. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Matthew. And um, for those of you who are just joining us or uh, weren't here last week, we are in a series on parables. And uh, we're looking at some of the parables of Jesus. And, and these parables really are stories. They were fictional stories that Jesus would tell to illustrate some kind of point. And oftentimes they would be revealing to the people listening to them. Right? He would tell this story and kind of the way, and we talked about this last week, right? but the way that you would react to it, your response to it, would reveal something about what's going on in your heart. And I think that will, again, be the case today. But this is, uh, so Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. We're going to start in verse 44. We're going to read through verse 46. Shorter passage today. This is God's word. And it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we're going to look at four truths. Okay, Four truths that we can pull out of this. And then ultimately, I'll give you kind of the main, main idea. But the four truths we're going to be looking at is the kingdom of God is hidden. Stepping into the kingdom of God is personal. Stepping into the kingdom of God is costly. And finally, the kingdom of God is of incomparable worth. Okay, so it's hidden, it's personal, it's costly, and it is of incomparable worth. So in this passage, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He's, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. Now in the Bible, Generally, when it says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, those are kind of synonymous terms. They mean the same thing, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And what the kingdom of God is, is, and broadly, the kingdom of God is kind of everything, right? Because God is over everything. God is supreme over everything. So really, everything is this kingdom. That's kind of the more broader way to think about it. The more specific way or the narrow way that the Bible talks about the kingdom of God is it is the spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to him. So it is God's rule and reign. You know, God is king. And it's like God is the spiritual king of whoever submits to him. That's the kingdom of God. So it's that it's the realm or the people in which God is supreme, where people come in and actually say, hey, God, I want you to be in total control of my life. I'm going to submit to you. You're my king. That's kind of simply put, that is what the kingdom of God is. That's what Jesus is talking about. And one of the first truths we can see is the kingdom of God is hidden, right? In this parable, it's not a treasure on a hill, like sparkling up there. It's a treasure buried in a field. It's something that either, it's not something that you could basically see from, from far away. It's not obvious, the kingdom of God doesn't come with a parade and like neon lights, like, hey, here it is, right? And everybody looks at it. When the world looks at the kingdom of God, they don't see value. They don't see it as important. They don't see it as precious. They don't see it as a treasure. In fact, oftentimes what the world values is completely opposite of the kingdom of God. It's the opposite of what God values. So it's something we have to recognize is that society moves in one direction, right? In terms of morality, in terms of what it thinks is right and wrong, in terms of values, what it thinks is good and bad. And that will never 
align with what God says. Society, all of us are sinful. You know, society included, us included. We're all, we're all, we all have sinful hearts, right? We all have hearts that are prone to not want to do what God wants to do. And so when we all get together and agree on something apart from God, see, like God has given us this word, right? And we talked about this last week. This is the only way that we can possibly know. All of our values, everything we think about everything came from somebody else. We think, oh, well, I came up with that. I'm the one who determines that. Well, that's not really true, right? Your parents, things you've read, things people have said, what's on the news, what celebrities say. You think about all that stuff gets into your brain, right? So we are all influenced by everything out there. And so how do we know anything? How do we know things are true? How do we know things are right? Well, we have this word. But if we walk away from this word that God has given us, the revelation of his truth, anything we come up with is going to be messed up. Right? There will be good little pieces here and there. But generally speaking, it's going to be messed up. That's what we are all prone to. So the obvious things out there, and this ironically is what happens all the time. The society looks at the church and says, obviously, you guys are wrong, right? Obviously, you guys are bigots and, you know, racists and, like, you hate this and you hate that. Like, obviously, the world always looks at God and says, obviously, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about, right? I've been on this earth for 15 years, you know, 20 years, 50 years, right? Obviously, I know more than you, God. It says uh, 1 Corinthians 2.11. It says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. See, we in our natural logic cannot comprehend God. We can't understand God. We can't figure out God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. So the natural person is the person apart from God's spirit or God's revelation. And it says, when he looks at God, God looks like a fool. It's like, God, that's dumb. That doesn't make sense. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Oh, excuse me. And he is, uh, this is from 2.14. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? So for us to even understand the Bible or to understand God, we need the help of his spirit. John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So unless we are born again, and this is when Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, right? And Nicodemus is like, you know, how does one enter the kingdom? How can one even see the kingdom? And Jesus is like, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't even recognize it. So it's interesting because the idea that the most important things in life are hidden, even the world knows that, right? Like, you know, a movie I used to watch when I was little all the time is um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You guys know that movie? Um, I feel like I have to, you know, some younger people in here, so I'm like, oh, you bring, man, I don't have seen it. But, you know, it's basically, you know, it's Indiana Jones, right? And, uh, you know, it's going against the Nazis and they're looking for the Holy Grail, which is basically the, you know, it's the cup that Jesus drank from, okay? And uh, it's supposed to give, like, eternal life. You know, this is all not biblical at all. Obviously, you know, it's not theologically correct, but, you know, it's, it's a fun movie, right? So they go and they search for the Holy Grail. And then at the end, at the end, there's this scene where there's all these, these cups, basically, 
and they're trying to find the one that Jesus drank from. And there's all there's like these fancy cups, you know, and there's like these jewel encrusted, like they look like really royal cups. And so they're supposed to pick. And there's this. <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, this probably just sounds like crazy. But you know, there's this knight who's guarding, you know, who's been there for hundreds of years. But basically, he's like, okay, pick, you know, choose wisely. He says, like, pick the right cup, right? And so the first guy, the bad guy, you know, they're forcing him to to go. And so the bad guy comes and he picks like the fanciest cup. It's got all the jewels. It's like gold, you know, and it's all this stuff. And he's like, this must be the one. It's the fanciest cup here. This must be God's cup. If God chose a cup to drink from, it has to be this one, right? And he drinks from it. And then he like turns to bones, you know, and he dies, right? Because it's the wrong one. And the knight's like, you chose, he chose poorly. (laughs) It's like that, right? And then, you know, Indiana Jones, he comes and he picks the right one. It's the most ghetto looking, you know, it's the most beaten up cup, right? It is the least fancy looking cup because it's like Jesus was a carpenter. You know, Jesus lived in humility, right? So he'd probably drink out of this cup. And even in the secular movie, the idea is kind of like the fancy things, you know, wealth and riches and all these things we're pursuing. Because at the end of the movie, even going after the cup itself is foolish. Why do that? Enjoy your life. Enjoy the things you have. You know, your family, like be grateful for what you have instead of going after the treasure, right? Like in Lord of the Rings, when they're going after the ring, it's like, no, don't go after the ring. Don't go after the cup. Don't go after the thing that's like the thing that everybody's going after. Don't go after wealth, right? Don't go after the fancy guy or the fancy girl. You know, the one that's for you is the one that was right under your nose the whole time, right? Like your best friend from elementary school or whatever. Like that's what it always turns out to be in every movie, right? It's like the fancy thing is not the thing that you should pursue. And yet, why in every, why do they keep using that theme over and over again in movies, in TV shows? Why, when you watch the movie, do you fall for it again and again, right? You're like, again and again. Because we're so prone to continue to fall for that. Even if you know, yeah, that's not what God's about. That's not what following Jesus is about. All the fancy stuff and the great stuff and wealth and, you know, having free time and like doing whatever I want and people serving me and all that kind of like, you know, in your head that that's all not what it's supposed to be about. That's not what life is supposed to be about. And yet every time the opportunity is there, you still want it. Right. Like I know, you know, so recently, so last week was um, apparently I didn't even know this, but it was like pastor's appreciation and so, you know, some of the leaders chipped in. They got me, like, a gift card, right? I was like, oh, I didn't even know. I was like, oh, like, thank you. You know, so I thank you to them. So I'm on Amazon. They got me this Amazon gift card, right? So I'm on Amazon. I'm, like, shopping. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I, and I've been shopping for a couple things, like a new computer and then uh, um, some, some stuff for my desk, right? Because my desk is really messy and I wanted, like, a better workspace. So I'm like looking for some random stuff. It's like I'm looking for just like a stand for my laptop, you know, and like a headphone stand and stuff like that, right? It's like this basic, you know, $10 stuff, right? So I'm like looking on Amazon and then I go on YouTube and I'm like, you know, like I don't know what to do. I don't know how to set this up. So I say laptop setup. I I type in laptop setup into YouTube and it's like there's like hundreds of videos, (laughs) like best desk setup, Right? And I start looking at these things. There's like RGB lights in the back. You know, people buying these like $100 mechanical keyboards, you know, and like these $100 mouses and stuff. And I'm watching this. And, and mind you, I'm a pastor. 
and I've been a Christian for like many decades. And, you know, like I'm looking at this. And I'm like, dang, I, I kind of want that one. You know, I start looking like, dang, that like 35 inch monitor. That looks amazing. You know, it's like curved monitor that goes ar around the back 360. You know, it's a chair that like feeds you and massages you and like washes your Like, it's just crazy the stuff that they have. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, wow, like, should I get this? You know, should I, should I spend thousands of dollars setting up my, my desk? Like, and obviously, you know, cooler heads prevailed. I didn't buy any of that stuff. But the thing is, it's like, you can get so into these things, right? Even knowing, oh, that's obviously that's dumb. But we can get so into these obvious things. The obvious, flashy, wealthy, best stuff. And the parable reminds us, Jesus says, hey, that's not where the treasure of the kingdom of God is. It's not that obvious stuff. It's not on the hill. It's not in neon lights. It's not flashy. It's service to others, not being served. It's consistent study of God's word and prayer, not the supernatural miracles. It's simplicity, not extravagance. It is sacrifice, not ease. The kingdom of God is hidden. The second thing we see, and we'll go through these next couple a little quicker, but stepping into the kingdom of God is personal. It's personal. The key figure in both parables is an individual, right? And that's important, particularly in Jesus's time, because they were prone to thinking, well, I'm part of the kingdom of God because I'm an Israelite. I'm part of the nation of Israel. So they would put this corporate identity above their individual identity. Now, that's not the case. Each of us, so here's the thing, right? And sometimes we'll, I'll, I'll have this comment, like we do membership, and then at the end of membership class, we do membership interviews. And sometimes what people will say is, I've been a Christian my whole life. Now, that can be kind of, it's true in a sense, right? Like what you mean is, I've been going to church my whole life. But you can't have been a Christian your whole life because you're born into sin. At some point, you either become Christian or you don't become Christian, right? At some point, you have to actually decide something, right? Like you have to make a decision to follow Jesus or to reject Jesus. And making no decision is the same as rejecting Jesus. So you can't really, it doesn't matter how long you've gone to church. It doesn't matter what your parents believe. It doesn't matter what your, you know, your spouse or like your friends or whatever, all that kind of stuff. It comes down to individually, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you actually believe in Jesus, that Jesus is God, that salvation is by faith in Christ alone? You can't piggyback on another person's faith, not your parents, not your kids, not your spouses, not your friends. Stepping into the kingdom of God in faith is a personal matter. Now, in light of that, every story is different. Some people, they grow up in church. Some people never go to church. Some people are coming out of addiction. Some people have like deep issues, more surface issues. There's no set formula for faith, for conversion, for discipleship. Every person has their own story and their own journey. And the kingdom of God is big enough to encapsulate all of those. But each of us must make our own decision. That's truth number two. Truth number three, stepping into the kingdom of God is 
costly. It is costly. Now, in both parables, the prize is purchased, right? So they find the treasure first, and then they go, and then they sell everything they have, and then they come back and they buy it, right? Now, Jesus wasn't teaching, of course, that eternal life can be purchased. That's clear. Everything else he says, you know, you cannot buy your way into heaven. It's not anything like that. But to say that eternal life can be freely received by faith is not to say that all it is is you just agree with the gospel. Right? So the gospel that Jesus, fully God, comes down, becomes you know, fully God, fully man, lives a perfect life for us, dies on the cross in our place for our sins, rises again from the dead. And if we have faith in him, we'll have eternal life. Now just saying Okay, I believe that. That's, that's a little too simplistic. Like, that's not really what the Bible says is discipleship. That's not actually what the Bible says. Just to only intellectually agree. So here are some other passages. Here's Mark eight thirty four. It says, And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right? So it's not just merely just believe this, but there is this idea that if you believe this, this is what you will do. Luke 9, 61 to 62, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, and it's, it's this agricultural metaphor, but essentially he's saying, if you're going to come follow me, then you got to come follow me. You can't be looking back. Right. Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Saving faith is an exchange of all that we are for all that Christ is. True faith will yield unconditionally to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean once you become a Christian, all of a sudden, all your bad habits and all your sins are just like eradicated immediately. That's not what it means. What it means is, though, that we will immediately stop loving sin. We'll hate sin. We may still sin, but we'll hate it. And we won't want to continue in it. And we will want to stop and get accountability and change and take whatever necessary steps to get out of the habit of sin. And we will love righteousness. Right? Not because it makes us better than anybody or not because it earns us our way to heaven. No, just because we love Jesus. So we want to do the things that Jesus does. We want to love the things that Jesus loves. That's truth three. Stepping into the kingdom of God is costly. So here's truth four. The kingdom of God is of incomparable worth it is worth more than everything you own so you know going back to the passage again it says it says then in his joy in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field right when he finds it when he finds it he's like this is greater than everything I own right now. Right? He finds it and he's like, everything I own is worth less than this, so I'm going to sell everything I have. And in fact, it's not like he hesitates, right? It's not like he thinks, all right, well, 
you know, let me make this pros and cons list and see whether or not it's worth me buying this field. And let me consider, you know, the tax implications and all Like he's not doing all that, right? He's like, clearly the treasure I have found in this field is worth more than everything I own right now. I'm getting a bargain. I'm getting a steal. I'm getting a deal here. So I'm going to just quickly sell everything because I'm worried that this field, someone else is going to get this field. Someone else is going to discover the treasure in this field and buy this field. I need to sell everything I have right now and buy this field immediately. Second one, same story, right? It's like a merchant in search of pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it, right? The idea is he's getting a deal. Now there is a difference in the two stories, right? One stumbles upon the treasure the second one is searching for the treasure. And that's like us. We're coming from different stories again. Some of us might be searching for it. Some of us might have stumbled upon it. But nevertheless, when we see it, when we discover it, we realize it is much greater than anything we own, we have. Now, when we talk about discipleship in church, oftentimes we use this kind of language we say like what does it cost you know there's a famous book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer it's called the, the cost of discipleship right and and we like to think about that and we like to talk about that and that is something we certainly should talk about but the question that I want you to think about if you are Christian or you want to be Christian and you actually want to live like a Christian you actually want to live like a disciple and follow Jesus the question I want you to think about is not only what does it cost that is a good and necessary question. But I want you to ask yourself, what is it worth? What is it worth? Because there's a difference between cost and worth. You know, uh, you know, for example, popcorn at the movie theater, right? Is popcorn at the movie theater worth what it costs? No, it's not. In fact, they usually mark it up about 1,275%. That's, that's the average markup for popcorn in a movie theater, which is just ridiculous. And then I buy it anyway, you know, just because I don't know why. You know, you, just, you want it, right? Beats by Dre. You guys know Beats by Dre? <laughs> Beats by Dre has like the worst markup, you know, in the headphone market. Most of the headphones cost about $14 to manufacture Beats by Dre. Yeah, those fancy headphones all the NBA players wear, right? It costs, but they cost about $150 to $500. It's a 1,000 to 3,000% markup. You know, ink cartridges and printers? This is the worst one, guys. <laughs> Hate ink. Ink cartridges and printers, they cost about 23 cents to manufacture one ink cartridge. Dang, are you serious? Yeah, because it costs like 30 bucks, like 50 bucks sometimes to buy a stinking ink cartridge, which costs 23 cents. The Red Cross charges $200 for 500 milliliters of blood, which comes out to about 40 cents per milliliter. But a lot of, uh, a lot of ink cartridges, like the cheapest ones are 23 cents. A lot of ink cartridges, like the average, it's about 71 cents per milliliter, meaning ink. <laughs> Costs 70 cents a milliliter and blood costs about 40 cents a milliliter. Isn't that crazy? Now, my question is, so one costs more. Ink costs more than blood. But the question is, which is more valuable? Ink or blood? 
Don't focus too much on the cost of discipleship before you consider the worth of discipleship. The worth of the kingdom of God. So this is from the aforementioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And if you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, real quick, let me just tell you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is this guy from like World War II. He was a German guy. He's a pastor and a theologian in Germany. And uh, in February 1938, so this was before World War II started, right? He, you know, Germany was like a mess. And um, he knew, he had some people who he knew in the government, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was actually part of this like anti-Hitler, like this Hitler assassination conspiracy, which is like a crazy, it's a very controversial part of his part of his life. But essentially, he knew somebody who told him like, hey, we're going to war. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't want to get drafted into the army, conscripted basically. So he had a chance to leave Germany to come to America. So he did come to America. He was invited by seminary in New York. So he goes to the seminary in New York. He escapes Germany before the war. And then Basically, what happens is within two weeks, he decided that he had made a mistake because he's like, I can't leave my people knowing that war is coming. If I leave now before the war happens, if I don't suffer with my people in Germany, then I can't say anything afterward to help rebuild the church. So he goes back into Germany. So he leaves Germany for like two weeks and then he, he like realizes it's a mistake. Everybody tells him, don't go back to Germany because it's like going to be crazy. And he just goes back anyway. And then later he's imprisoned, and then later he's killed okay, uh, for his assassination plot or his part in it. Now, this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said <clears throat> in uh, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace, on the other hand, is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. See, the grace which we receive from God... It's free, but it is not cheap. If we see it as cheap, then it will have no value to us. We will not treasure it. We will see it more as a burden than as a joy, more as a duty and obligation than as a pleasure and a delight. He continues, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Day after day, it is the door that must be knocked on, pounded on. For he says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon God did not consider his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for 
us. See, when Bonhoeffer considered grace, he didn't only consider what was required of him to get it, he considered what God paid to purchase it. Because yes, it is free for you, but it cost God his own son. For his own son, being completely innocent, to suffer and die and bear the burden of your sin. It cost God, it cost the Son of God his life. He was physically beaten and he was emotionally tortured and he was completely shamed before his own people having done nothing wrong. So if you believe that God is precious, that the kingdom of God is a treasure, and yet you don't feel it. Here is possibly why, and this ultimately is the point of the parable. The value of Christ to us is revealed by the cost we're willing to pay. See, the guys don't get the treasure. So look at the parable. He sees the treasure, right? But that's not when he gets the treasure. He sees the treasure. Then he sells everything he has and gives it up. And that's when he gets the treasure. See, some of us, we are looking at the treasure. And we know there's treasure there. And we know it's valuable. And we know it's worth more than everything else we have. But we have not sold everything else we have. We're still holding on. To everything else we have. We're still holding on to our autonomy, to our right to tell God, no, I don't want to do that. No, I know better than you. I don't want to give you everything. I don't want to truly follow you. I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to admit that I don't already know everything. But the Bible tells us, ironically, paradoxically, the more you give up, for Christ, the more you gain. So church, don't fear what you'll lose by letting go of what you have. Consider what you fail to gain by holding on to it. I have one, uh, I do have one application point for you. Carefully consider both the cost and the worth of following Jesus. See, the reason that Jesus tells people this, and the reason that personally, and I go back to this, this Bonhoeffer quote quite often, and the reason I need to is because my heart is prone to wander from it. And Jesus wants his people to think about it. Because I do believe that if we think about it carefully and thoughtfully, we will certainly realize that he is indeed worth it worth all that we have and more. And the more that we are able to give up for him, the more we will recognize and realize and glean and learn and have joy in and delight in what we are gaining in him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are not worth a little bit more than everything else we have or are. God, we thank you that you are not worth only slightly more than everything we could ever attain in this world. God, you are worth infinitely more.
in objective value, God, in objective value, in truth, you are worth so much that it should not even be a thought that we would sell everything, everything we own, everything we are, every accolade, every title that we have, God, everything we've ever achieved or will achieve, every relationship, God, anything else in, in light of you, God, that all pales in comparison, God, in objective value. We should be able to just give all that up and submit it to you, God, and do with it whatever you would call us to do. But God, we confess, we are not always able to see that way. And we ask humbly, God, would you forgive us? Would you be patient with us, God? And would you slowly but surely transform our hearts so that we might be able to recognize the beauty and the value and the joy and the treasure of your kingdom, of your rule and your reign in our lives. We entrust it to you, God. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.